This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's our seventh post-game edition of this 2021 Penn State football season, and Certainly the most shocked we have been coming on to one of these post-game podcasts as Penn State drops a 20-18 to matchup against Illinois, one that went nine overtimes with this new college football structure, the final seven of those nine overtime sessions occurring in a two-point conversion format, thus the longest game by overtimes in NCAA history, and I think it, it goes without saying one of the most, if not the most, embarrassing moment of the James Franklin era here for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way to put it. I think that's what, the way that I put it in the post game. It's embarrassing for Penn State. It's embarrassing for a program that had convinced a lot of people, themselves included, uh, national media, whatever, that they belonged in that college football playoff conversation. And then you go out and, and do that. And that's that's really what's, what's disappointing is that you just fell on your face in, in a way that you could see that Penn State's got a lot of talent. Penn State did not utilize a lot of that talent and then really put them, put themselves in a position to play um, in that situation where you're basically sudden death and, you know, anything can happen in sudden death. And and really from start to finish, I mean, from from the way that the day started with the rain and the weather and the, the crowd being a late arriving crowd, and it just seemed, it just seemed to fit everything that happened on Saturday in, in Beaver Stadium because it was um, uninspired, lackadaisical, and, and really – unfortunate for 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 Penn State fans and whoever actually had to witness that thing I know it got popular on Twitter but that's not a reason you want to be a popular on Twitter because you're playing a game like that yeah you noted this after the game uh this is the fourth time in five season that Penn State has followed its first loss with a second loss in that next scheduled game uh clearly this is the most shocking this is the opponent that that surprises you the most not only an Illinois team that was two and five and as we said this week called out by their head coach and Clearly that worked out for the head coach, Brett Bielema, but this was an Illinois team that had to come to the road, face a Penn State squad coming out of a bye week, and we weren't sure if this would happen, but got Sean Clifford back. What kind of Sean Clifford they got back, we'll talk about that in a moment, but you looked at how everything laid out at the start of this matchup, where this Illinois team was coming from, a shutout loss to Wisconsin, what Penn State was looking at coming off of bye week, just like Illinois, but getting Sean Clifford in the starting lineup, that sent a strong message that they could be ready to roll offensively again. Instead, a 10-0 lead vanishes as the game goes on. We end up in overtime, nine of those sessions. And Sean, in, in seven quarters of football for Penn State, it's remarkable. They've gone from a program that early in that second quarter at Iowa City, you looked and you said, this might be the favorite in the Big Ten Conference with a huge tip of the cap to Ohio State. Of course, this might be the team. Seven quarters of football later, Penn State may have a hard time shredding water and, and avoiding descending further toward the 500 mark as November moves in and moves on and as they get into big 10 matchups here that, that lie ahead, much difficult, much more difficult than this Illinois team. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You're going to Columbus next week. And, you know, you were looking at that as a, you know, this is a game, this is a team that plays Ohio state better than pretty much everybody in the big 10. 
now you're looking and you're wondering how how much is are the Buckeyes going to blow Penn State out by? And that's really um, the 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 offensive dysfunction. You can get away with that against certain teams in the Big Ten, or you can't. I mean, this is this is an Illinois team that's as bad as it gets in the Big Ten, and and really, um, you know, solid running game, solid defense, but that shouldn't be enough to stop you. That shouldn't be enough to keep you um, in a 10-10 game for most of most of the game. And you know, I, I credit Clifford for going out there and gutting it out, but obviously that changes so many things for you. And if you can't run Sean Clifford, you can't run this offense. And I don't know that that's indicative of this offense as a whole or if it's if you're just talking about what Sean Clifford can do in this offense we saw I mean he came out against Iowa and ran the ball three times for 36 yards thought he was gonna have a really big night before he got hurt today five carries negative 28 yards four of those were sacks and that's how they do it in college football the last one uh, a negative two yard scramble in which he slid just to avoid a hit and really when you're playing a game like this and you don't want to be in a position where you're in those ridiculous overtimes or whatever we're doing in college football now but when you can't have your guy scramble for a couple of yards even that 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 really seriously limits everything that you can do offensively so um mike yersich has to figure something out we were talking about how great this offense um the potential that this offense had to to be and it's certainly not there and 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 you've got to find your way to coach around it james franklin mike yersich that's that's on them finding the way to go about it and uh Certainly did not do it, do it this week, and that's uh, it's really unfortunate football coming out of it. This is the third time that I recall in recent years where Penn State faced a week where they had uncertainty at the starting quarterback position because of a medical issue. This was coming out of a bye week, so kind of added to that. But a, a few years back, it was Trace McSorley on the road at Michigan. I referenced that during a show leading up to this matchup. It turned into a, a, a terrible situation for McSorley and the offense Tommy Stevens ended up in there late. It was a it was a bad situation. The other is when Sean Clifford played on the road at Ohio State, and you remember how ineffective he was and how ineffective that offense was in, in the first half in a top 10 matchup in 2019 when Sean Clifford, much like what Franklin said today, they weren't able to utilize him the way they need to utilize Sean Clifford. So if you're taking out that ability for your quarterback to run, and there was a moment late in that game where normally Sean Clifford's eyes get wide and he darts upfield, he, he, he embraces some contact with the defender, moves the first down marker, maybe gets 15, 20 yards, and all of a sudden there was a hesitancy, hesitancy pulled, it, pulled it back, and he couldn't trust himself as a passer tonight. That wasn't there either. But, man, this is, again, kind of three for three where these weeks have played out where Penn State – you know, ends up rolling with the guy who's their starter and it isn't a pretty situation. Your backup ends up in the contest. And ultimately, uh, not this time, the previous two, you had Will Levis entered the contest and you had uh, Tommy Stevens enter the contest. This time, you maybe wish you had a, a backup that you liked and you trusted. And this goes back to the conversation that's been had time and time again. You know, Sean Clifford, say what you will, fighting through the pain, uh, playing, playing through some agony, it would appear, as this game wore on and the hits started to pile up. Sure would have been great for Penn State staff to feel comfortable in turning to a second quarterback. And, I mean, we said that after the Iowa game and that debacle. And today and, and during the course of these two weeks, you had two weeks to monitor your quarterback room, to watch Sean Clifford day by day, practice by practice, period by period, gauging whether he was capable of delivering you to a victory on the uh, you know against an Illinois team that you'd think was overwhelmed by the supporting cast offensively. And over the course of this one, it became clear that Clifford wasn't going to be able to carry the offense to that kind of a performance. And they didn't really have a lot of solutions. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Just didn't see the kind of ingenuity that maybe was required a little bit here of, of Mike Yersich in terms of getting guys involved in different ways. Saw some of it 
but just not enough. And and if you're kind of going to lean on Sean Clifford being Sean Clifford, even against Illinois today, it wasn't enough. We talked all week about getting Taquan Roberson snaps, maybe even getting Christian Veyer snaps, so we could find a little bit more about Taquan Roberson. I, I would argue we found out quite a bit about Taquan Roberson today with him not getting any snaps. And Clifford, you, you're probably not going to yank him, but he took some shots. Um, they obviously coached around him trying not to take those shots, but they, some of that's inevitable. It's football, and that's that's the way that uh, Clifford uh, closed his his segment today. He's, you know, he talked about that late hit and said that's kind of the, how it goes in football. You, you got to sort of just go with it and. Yeah, I think you found out a lot about uh, what you don't have behind him. So um, kudos to him for coming out, gritting it out, uh, talking to us afterward, said he was not affected by it, uh, kind of threw himself under the bus in terms of what uh, what this offense could and couldn't do on Saturday. But, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious. We, we, we laid those numbers out, uh, no downfield shots, nothing really big. And I, I know the weather played into it early, but uh, you never really got a chance to, to get cooking. And, and when he did, just not the accuracy that we're used to. And, and it's funny saying that because he was not accurate last season, but the first half of the season was very good with some of those balls. Um, the, the floater to Parker Washington on third down, a couple of those, those uh, ones to Sean Clifford, or excuse me, from, from Sean Clifford to, to Jahan Dotson in the end zone just not sharp at all and and is it the injury is it lack of practice whatever it doesn't really matter if you're a coach you're you're putting those guys in those positions to be in in the right spot it just didn't work and and you know didn't get it help from some some of those other guys theo johnson dropped what could have been a touchdown pass and really i was looking uh, i was writing something earlier and looking at the sort of the turning point of that passing game and he, he went sean clifford went four for four to start the game then completed two out of ten, two out of his next ten passes uh, before halftime, which obviously that's not going to get it done. His last ten completions of the game: zero yards, five yards, nine yards, minus three yards, two yards, four yards, three yards, one yard, five yards, and one yard. That's not going to get it done, man. No, and and I did some of the math for you before the show. Those first two, uh, those first two possessions, Sean Clifford did not throw the football, and then goes four for four. 108 yards, a touchdown, the big 40-plus yard touchdown to Keandre Lambert-Smith. And to your point, even a big completion there, he was bailed out by Jahan Dotson, who he'll do some bailing out of the quarterback from time to time. He did it there. Yeah, Yeah, that that ball was up in the air. He he goes and gets it. The rest of the game, 15 of 30 passing, 57 yards. That's less than two yards per attempt. And think about how explosive – when you kind of close your eyes and think about what this passing attack was doing when things were rolling for the first five plus games with Sean Clifford at quarterback. I mean, it was, it was just oftentimes an avalanche of, of, of passing uh, and, and the, the ground game has not been worthy of being leaned on at any point. And when they wanted to maybe do that today, uh, the, you know, the ground came out from underneath them once again. And you look at how the first two drives played out before Penn state started putting up some early points uh, that first drive, you, you'll, lose a combined two yards on two carries uh, for Kevon Lee. And then Sean Clifford's get sacked. He started taking some hits early in this game. And then the next possession, uh, another situation uh, where, where you get buried and you get pinned behind early in an off schedule. And uh, you're not able to advance on, on a short yardage run. I think it was a third and two for Kevon Lee. Can't move the chains. You got a punt. So that's zero zero at that point, but it was some early warning signs about the inability to, to get the ground game going specifically when you have two, three yards to gain. And, they only had three yards to gain in seven of those overtime sessions. Only once did they reach the end zone. And Sean, I think that's what you got to circle back to here. 
you had the missed opportunity by by Theo Johnson at the tight end position a week, uh, two two weeks ago. It was Brenton Strange with some key misses there. I think the blocking continues to really underwhelm at the tight end spot at running back right now. Whether it's Noah Kane who, who averaged under four yards per carry today uh, could not punch it in inside uh, in, in some of those overtime periods. He did get in there once. Kevon Lee, seven carries, 24 yards. He kind of had another disappearing act. I think some of that was injury-related. I don't know where he is right now medically. And John Lovett, five carries, 21 yards. I'm sorry, but the way we talked about this tight end room and the running back room to all of our listeners for the preseason and even through September would lead you to believe that even uh, you know an ineffective Sean Clifford as a runner, you could still carry yourself to a win against Illinois on homecoming day. And yet well, it was so far away from even accomplishing that, and, and it just never seemed like they were going to get that rolling in, in, in any kind of authoritative fashion. And when you're the seventh team in the country and you can't show anything with authority against this Illinois squad, it's a major red flag. Well, they came out and with a, it looked like with a certain amount of hubris and came out and ran the ball, what, seven, or six times in seven plays uh, to start the game. Uh, just didn't really get anywhere, get a couple of punts. And OK, and then you, you basically put yourself in a position where you had to go back to the passing game. And that's exactly what this entire season has been, whether it's in a microscope against Illinois or just uh, just the total uh, the total landscape of the uh, of the season, you just basically you're a passing team. That that running game has flat out evaporated. Um, outside of a couple of of runs, a nice run by Lovett. Lovett had an 18 yard run on his first touch, finished the game with 21 yards. I mean, you're just not getting it done up front. Um, I, I know I've been very kind to the offensive line, mostly because of their pass blocking and things like that, but really just not getting it done with that uh, that offensive line and those tight ends. So, I mean, you could sit here and talk about the, you know, the preseason accolades and 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 all that stuff, but if you if you can't get the basic stuff that you build your program around, if you can't get that done, I mean, what, what does it matter? And that's that's really kind of where we find ourselves, just you know, shocked after seven games, after watching that game. And, and, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, you're upset right now and you, and you have a right to be because that was a really just frustrating from everything, everything that went. I mean, that, that, that back and forth with all the penalties was basically that this whole day just wrapped up into one drive. I mean, that's kind of the frustration um, that, that, that sort of boiled over. And it's been uh, really, really incredible to to think about the where Penn State was a couple of weeks ago, where they're coming out now. Um, it just seems like a completely different team, and and you know the injuries are there and the the excuses are there, but that's it's far it seems far greater than that. Parker Washington, Sean was limited to 17 yards on four catches. Illinois did a really good job containing him when he got the ball in his hands. Uh, there were a couple of misses in his direction as well. Some key one, a key one in particular. Jahan Dotson, six catches, 69 yards. I mentioned 35 of those, I believe, came on kind of a jump ball situation where he, he took control and, and came down with that pass, setting up a touchdown throw on the next play. But that's on which we can rec- we can recognize that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was <laughs> a great play. And that was and, and and Jahan almost had a play where he and he has not dropped the pass. I think this season coming into this week, I, I may be mistaken on that, but almost had a drop, bobbled it, retained it, and you know we, he you saw the flashes from Dotson, which leads me to this: fourteen targets through the air. This was another game now where there were a bunch of targets through the air, and there were a lot of of misfires in Jahan's uh, Jahan Dotson's. Uh, direction where he wasn't able to really have an opportunity to come down with that ball. And, you know, you give him an opportunity, you like your chances. Are you surprised that he was not involved like the game at Iowa in other ways, offensively coming out of the backfield engaged as a runner? I'm just surprised that we haven't seen this team try to get the ball in Jahan Dotson's hands in some way that doesn't rely upon a sharp throw from your quarterback. 
I'll agree with that. And it's, and it's not, I, I think you can kind of throw uh, the overtimes out the, the, the two point conversion over out because mm-hmm. if you're a player that needs to get the ball in space and, and make things happen, you're probably not going to get that. I mean, they tried to throw the fade to him in the, in the first overtime or I think, yeah, I believe it was the first overtime, <laughs> um, but he's, he's not your big red zone threat and that's, that's understandable, but the rest of the game, I mean, you saw what, uh, uh, what Illinois was trying to do, getting some jet sweeps, getting some guys moving and and, and getting around there. And yeah, I, I, I'm surprised it was 14 targets. It didn't seem like that many, especially because he only came down with six of them. Um, but it was, uh, it was tough just five yards after the catch for Dotson. That's not really his game either. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't try to work him in a little bit more. We talked before about him as a passer, you know, that's that we kind of make these jokes about, uh, this guy being a threat in, in, in multiple ways, but you could have used that today. You used Tyler Warren in that way today. So, um, I, with your quarterback ailing, obviously, and, and, you know, trying to make some things happen regardless. I mean, you, you get the ball in your hand, your best player. And you, you look at this offense from top to bottom and you just say, who played well today or who, who played all right today? And, and Dotson's your best answer when six catches for 69 yards and 36 of that on, on one tremendous play, that's not going to get it done. And, and something I was also saying during the week and kind of tongue in cheek, but also increasingly serious as this game went on was, did Tyler Warren take enough steps in the Wildcat quarterback situation? We saw him on a fourth and one uh, in overtime uh, when, before it went to that new overtime setup. Uh, he moved the chains, uh, two-yard run up the middle, nice second effort after some initial contact. I'm not saying he's Mike Allstott. You know how I feel about Mike Allstott. But in a game like this, I, I was joking, hey, if it takes a Will Levis versus Rutgers 2020 kind of deal at the end to get away with the win, you do it to get away with the win. Any surprise there that, that Tyler Warren, it was one and done. And you had a lot of goal line opportunities there with the overtime sessions. And again, that was the only carry for Warren on that fourth down conversion. Not particularly because Penn State only had, I'm looking at the third down numbers now. By the way, third down numbers terrible, four of oh. 17, um, 23.5%. Average distance to go on third down, 7.6 yards. That's terrible. That's that's getting yourself. What, what was interesting to me is is first down was basically all or nothing. Uh, Penn State had five of their chunk plays, uh, five of their six chunk plays on first down. So that's good when you can get a first down on first down. But the rest of that is just not working for you. Um, yeah, you had uh, two. You were two of five on third and short. So it's not a position where you're going to find Tyler Warren in the ball game, you know, too often. So I don't have a criticism of that. Um, you know, that's a, I watched that uh, the, the Philly Philly or whatever in overtime, that's a ball that should have been completed. Um, I, I'm not sure to, who to put the blame on. Uh, excuse me. Warren, of course, was forced to throw it pretty early. Clifford, you're asking him to do a lot to turn and catch that ball. But that ends that essentially ends the game right there, knowing what we know about the rest of the of it. So I'm not going to criticize the use of Tyler Warren, but I I, I think you, you there is a, a greater point there that you probably should have taken the ball out of Clifford's hands at some point, just because he was he was not efficient, he was not effective, and that's really what you've leaned on him for the entire season to be, and it, and it hasn't worked. Um, the running game. Yeah you know, is what it is, but, uh, it's, and it's, and it's pretty pathetic to be honest with you. Um, but it's, uh, it's a tough situation where I think you could have leaned and trying to try to figure out a way to get the ball in other people's hands to, to, to sort of make it, uh, to, to make it work. I found it really interesting that after four quarters of a game in which you were clearly trying to protect Sean Clifford in ways in which you're not normally trying to protect Sean Clifford, which is 
impacting the way you can attack teams offensively. There's no way around it. James Franklin referenced that after the game that you would then, while the play design worked, that you would then trust him to get out in the open field, make an athletic move, re- receive the football, then get to the end zone in an overtime setting. That's asking a lot. Um, and again, I think if you're willing to ask Sean Clifford to do that, maybe you can explore some other things with a guy like Jahan Dotson or a guy like Tyler Warren in that backfield as well. I know that we love the imagination, um, but man, it just felt like time and time again. I mean, I go through this and and if you take away those uh, charting these possessions, Sean, and you take away all those false start penalties that they dealt with at Iowa. This was like eerily similar of what happened after the, the, the second quarter touchdown or second quarter field goal at Iowa and the second quarter field goal today, just complete obliteration of, of offensive plans, 18 total possessions for Penn state. I counted from quarters two through four in each of the past two losses. I'm not counting the overtime possessions here. 11 of them, Sean ended uh, with a punt. 11 of them did not last more than five plays. So that's putting the pressure on your defense. And then ultimately only two of them resulted in points, two field goals. And one of them came when you got the ball in the plus territory today, because your defense made a big play. One of the three takeaways they had. So you had the defense gift wrap you a great possession. They didn't move the ball at all. They, they had zero yards in that possession. You get a field goal from Jordan Stout to make it a 10, nothing game. And from that point on, you don't log another point against Illinois for the remainder of this matchup. And, We'll get to them in a moment. They ran the ball really well, but Art Sikowski gave you every chance to, to handle your business today like we thought he would. Every opportunity. Yep. He could have had five, six turnovers today. He only had three officially. I mean, you had everything in your hand, 38 passing yards. And at one point, I noted this on Twitter, it was deep in the fourth quarter. I want to say five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Penn State had more sack yardage on defense than Illinois had throwing the ball through the air at that stage of the game. And yet it was a tie contest in Beaver stadium going into overtime. Ultimately. It's as one dimensional as you can be. And, and as we said, this is not a team that was built to come from behind this Illinois team and Penn state put them in a pretty good spot to, to stay around, to just hang around, hang around, hang around um, and, and stay in the game. And it's uh it's really disappointing when you have your chance against a fairly, you know, we can call him an inferior opponent when you have your chance to do that. Um, and, and you don't put them away. You don't make the, you know, Penn state had three turnovers today. So you look at the box score and think three turnovers on the road, um, you probably lost by a couple of scores and they turn that into three points and that just does not work. And that's, uh, uh, the offense, I think there's, there's enough blame to be going around. You can look at uh, what, what what gets me is it's almost like outside of maybe Jahan Dotson making those couple of plays, you're sitting around, you're waiting for Sean Clifford to make it. It kind of reminds me of that 2018 team with Trace uh, Trace McSorley mm-hmm. when you're trying to, to to see the magic that you've seen from him. And, you know, certainly it was more prevalent with McSorley. Um, and then, you know, he gets banged up and plays the second half of the season, doesn't make the plays that he's used to. And when he doesn't have that magic, then everybody else just kind of goes away. And that's really um, – it's troubling to see that in this current team um, Mm -hmm. because you've, you've, you've had guys that, you know, you think that some of these running backs can make plays. You think some of these tight ends can make plays. We talked about the Johnson drop before and how huge that was Um, defensively. We'll talk about some missed opportunities, but guys had opportunities to make plays and it just did not work. And then you, 
kind of waited for Sean Clifford to take you there and the, the condition that he's in did not allow it. And it's, uh, it's tough to watch. It was ugly to watch. It was frustrating to watch. It was uh, exhausting to watch, to be honest with you. Um, and it's a it's a bourbon game now. So um, it's a, it's it's just really a, a bad, bad all around day for that offense. And, and it really starts up front, that offensive line, not getting the progress that they need. Um, you think uh, with a with a team like Illinois that comes in with a two and five record, you can come out and kind of assert your will and go with that. And they found out pretty quickly that Illinois is going to be pretty darn physical with them. And that's both sides of the ball. Illinois won the battle up front on both sides for that. Illinois ran 88 plays and Penn state uh, kind of just tried to keep chugging along and didn't work and kind of just waited around for something to happen. And Illinois would make the plays Penn state would not. And that's kind of the, the story of the entire game. And you, and you're, you know, when you play a game like that, you're fortunate that you have a chance to win at the end, but, you're going to put yourself in more positions where you got to you got to make the plays and they, it just was not happening. That was the remarkable part about this is even as the the yardage totals were, were getting skewed so much toward Illinois and even as the time of possession was being dominated by the Illini, um, you still kind of said, OK, well, Sean Clifford's the quarterback this time. They're not turning the ball over they're going to find a way to get a win. It's going to be one that we have to go on the podcast afterward and really kind of it's going to feel like we're talking about a loss. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to feel like we're talking about a loss. But yeah, never, yeah. never did I think. I mean, and there was opportunities there in overtime where I said, "Well, Penn State's good thing they're playing Illinois." Is the thing I said a lot out loud during this game, to be honest with you, and, and to my baby who could not care less. But I, I kept saying, "Man, good thing they're playing Illinois. Good thing they're playing Arsikowski." And yet, time and time again, it was not good enough. And and I think that's the shocking part is because we can talk about Clifford, we can talk about the supporting cast, we can talk about the offensive line, which. By the way, we saw a shuffling there. Juice Scruggs going over to center. Mike Miranda, right guard. Um, certainly something that that's concerning to see right now. Game seven of your of your schedule and, and still sorting through that process. But all that you got to go back to James Franklin, and we haven't really probably mentioned his name early enough on this podcast because you had a bye week. You already talked about the inability for this Penn State squad under James Franklin to recover from this first loss of the season. And that was a devastating first loss of the season, one that they clearly felt deserved some kind of asterisk because they didn't have their quarterback. And they were confident they could bounce back and maybe see Iowa again in Indianapolis down the road. So to come out here and turn around this performance, um, it's one thing to do it in 2018, uh, coming off the bye against that Michigan State squad. To do it against this Illinois team, uh, you got to give credit because Bielema somehow got this got these guys playing on fire. But there was so many wake up calls in the first and second and third and fourth quarter and one through nine overtimes, and Penn State just didn't answer that alarm. And I thought that was probably the most surprising part of this. They just never answered the alarm and came up with the answer that you'd expect, whether or not they're the seventh team in the country, a team that we think is a, a premier program in the Big Ten this year. Got to answer that bell. It didn't happen. And it makes you kind of reconsider where this Penn State football program is in the scope of 2021 versus where we thought they might be in the early stages of October. Well, when you look at how Illinois attacked Penn State on both sides of the ball, lining up 12 offensive linemen or whatever they did, just a yeah. just a bunch of tanks running across there. Um, that, to me, says they looked at Penn State and said, we don't think you're as tough as you think you are or people think you are on both sides of the ball. 
ran right at him, um, came right at them on defense. And, you know, you, you got Sean Clifford and you, you can probably call him for, uh, for cliche's sake, a sitting duck for a guy that's not going to be able to run. Um, so just go right at him, go right after him. Actually, it was, it was my game plan for Illinois. Uh, you know, when I, when we did our pregame podcast on Thursday, it was just to go send everything you can at them, get them scrambling, get them running backwards and retreating. And that was kind of how Penn state looked. Penn state looked like it was raining in the first quarter, and they were playing not to lose their footing. They were playing to not be put on skates. And that's how you get put on skates. That's how you get knocked all over the field. Um, so both guys, I mean, both sides of the ball up front, um, more probably more critical about the offensive line. I think Phil Troutwine has, you, you've got some exploring to do there. That's a, it's a situation where, you know, I'm a big Troutwine guy, just not, has not lived up to expectations. It's been very poor. Uh, the tight end blocking, of course, uh, you know, factors into that as well. So you got Ty Howe under the microscope as well. Those two guys, you got to really look at yourself and see what's up. And, and James Franklin said that, I believe it was James Franklin or Sean Clifford. I don't know. It all runs together from the post game for me. Said they got to look at themselves in the mirror and figure that out. Well, that's great. You can say that all you want. Um, but unless you make some changes, unless you make some some alterations to how you're going to uh, attack this, you've got some you've got some thinking to do there. You mentioned Scruggs moved to center. Um, Mike Miranda got bodied this week it's not going to be one where he looks in the film room and he's pretty happy especially with his performance at center so do you see a a, a permanent change happening there it's really hard to say um but uh, that that interior offensive lineman got bullied and uh you you, you look at the run the, the run game 2.1 yards per carry kind of feels like we're saying that every week and that's uh, sack yardage is in there so it's kind of a little bit unfair to those running backs who weren't as bad as we've seen in this year probably the best game noah kane's played and that's you know, being very generous in terms of the praise that we're throwing around 11 carries 43 yards, um, still going down too easy. It looks like his center of gravity does not look, you know, just uh, in balance. He's, he's going down and um, falling forward to his credit, but probably could get a little bit more out of those runs. So, I mean, up front, it's uh, terrible. I mean, just, uh, there's no real way of getting around it. They got bullied, they got bodied and, and by a two and five football team and now a three of five, three and five football team. It's been very few and far between where you say, wow, that running back, you know, took over that series for Penn State. I, I, Noah Kane's drive in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin that I continue to reference because that's really the, the last memory of that. I mean, I think Kevon Lee has had some flashes, so has John Lovett, but there has not been a series or a quarter or a half where you're like, well, Penn State is – just keep handing the ball to this guy. He's starting to get it going. And, man, you need that tonight. It's, it's not happening. Jaywan Sider, a guy who's been around this game a while, had very, very high hopes for this group. And, and he's recruited a bunch of them out of the transfer portal, out of high-profile high schools. And I can't imagine how he's feeling when he looks at the stat sheet through these seven games and he looks at the lack of production. He looks at some of the issues that they've had uh, in the run game at large. And that, that, that goes with the guys getting the ball. That goes with the, the players that are uh, charged with making space for them. But it was such a colossal failure today against Illinois um, that – yeah, look in the mirror, but it felt like you just had that opportunity for two weeks to look in the mirror after the loss to, to Iowa. Injuries were a part of that. You thought, you know, the health could improve and, and, and Sean Clifford apparently enough to start him in this game in the eyes of Penn State staff. Um, but but I think you come out of this saying, OK, look in the mirror again. But now when you look past that mirror, you've got a trip to Columbus coming up. So good luck. It's going to be a busy mirror this week. Very yeah. busy mirror. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, they're going to need a very large, wide mirror there in Lush. Defensively, and I will say this up front, 
The defense did not play well. The defense, um, I think the the offense should probably send the defense a fruit basket for taking some of the criticism and taking some of the focus because you're going to see the 357 yards on the ground. It's it's obviously terrible, mm. but the defense did what they did. Ten points in regulation put themselves in a position. If you give up ten points in it through four quarters in the Big Ten, you should win the game. Um, so the the defense is going to take some criticism, right, rightfully so, but probably more than they should because this this game to me is is completely on the offense and their inability to get things going. Having said that, defensively, they just uh, you miss PJ Mustafer. I think that's obvious. Um, Penn State was without Mustafer, um, or will be without Mustafer for the season. Um, and you got something from Derek Tangelo. I thought he played fairly well today, but that other spot you expected to see D- Devon Ellis, Kaziah Izzard played. Uh, I believe Kaziah Izzard started. Um, he's he's another guy. He's going to be in that room with Miranda of guys that don't don't want to watch this tape um, because it was it looked like a freshman out there running around and he made some some nice plays down the line, but for the most part got got pretty well bullied. Um, so that's that's a huge huge spot where you're looking at the second half of the season and wondering where Penn State's going to have those holes. And we knew they weren't very deep, um, but we thought that those guys might be able to grow up fast, and they weren't able to do that this week, especially against an attack that was just pummeling them up front. Um, the defensive line, you look at what uh, the, those numbers for Indiana, or excuse me, Illinois, uh, 357 yards on the ground. Uh, you know, I thought the defensive line put themselves in an okay position, and the guys behind them really had str- they really struggled to fill. Backside pursuit tackling um, at the first and second level, very, very poor today. Um, and, and you know, you look at Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith, and Curtis Jacobs, that's a unit that really could have changed the game just by a couple of tackles here and there. And those guys were just slipping through. Chase Brown was phenomenal today. 33 carries, 223 yards. You get 223 yards and you only average 6.8 yards a carry. Um, you know, you, you, that's a great day, but it's they probably not. every the, ounce out of Brown today. That dude was exhausted by the end. He, I know he got hurt in the, in the overtime. but Maybe uh, a concussion. For, I don't know, but they, they wouldn't let him get his helmet back. And I know his, he made contact with his head. That's tough because that dude played hard today. Uh, McCray, the freshman back, 24 carries, 124 yards, or excuse me, 142 yards as well. <laughs> yeah. um, that's that's a pummeling right there. And that's not yeah. 97 Michigan State pummeling, but that is as close to that as you could possibly get. Um, Illinois, t- to be honest with you, in those overtimes, when you needed to get three yards, they completely abandoned the run and gave Penn State a chance to get back in it. Um, but those chunks were there all day. And again, the, the backside pursuit, the tackling just left so much to be desired on the defense that we thought was actually pretty good. They were able to come up with some pressure in key moments. Again, whenever the quarterback had the ball and wasn't handing it off, it was a pretty good spot for Penn State to be in defensively. But Katie with a sack and a half, Brandon Smith had a sack and a forced fumble. That set up Penn State's field goal earlier there in the second quarter. Jesse Lucchetta got some pressure as well. Um, but yeah, and, and also I wanted to point out some really important plays late in this game and in overtime and, and one-on-one settings that, you know, again, remind you, look, Penn State has a lot of advantages in this matchup. The perimeter play for, for some of those those pass deflections, three Castro fields, a huge one from Jair, uh, Jair Brown on, on a trick play. Uh, he really prevented the, the loss from happening earlier for Penn State. And then there was also another big one from John Dixon, the cornerback uh, who came in from South Carolina this past all season. Defense came up with some timely moments and 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 again just like last week you got to come up with one drive here just one drive it can be in the third quarter in the fourth quarter get some points keep your defense on the on the sideline and you get away with the win that that maybe happens at iowa 
it definitely happens, I think, this time against Illinois. And again, I, I, those numbers are ugly. That's a lot of yards. And, and when you think about getting thumped like that on the ground, what's it going to look like against a team like Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan moving forward? We've done very well in that department. But when you look at what this Penn State defense did, you can't argue that they didn't do enough. And by the way, five times they had Illinois with the ball on the three-yard line in overtime. And, you know, they stopped them all but two times. I mean, there's something to be said. They, they kept giving Penn State a chance. They'd say, okay, we made the stop. Sean, go get this offense on the field. Go pick up three yards. And please let us prevent a miserable experience of losing this game on home turf. And the offense couldn't get it done. Yeah, you look at the last two weeks, you've blown two 10-point leads. Um, and really – not on the defense. I mean, you, you can, they're the ones that give up the points. Let's be, you know, state the obvious here, but you're putting yourself in a position where you, you can't extend that lead. You can't really do anything offensively. And, you know, it's, it's going back to the, the, the dark years kind of style where you're just waiting for the, the offense to do anything. And um, it, it just, it's not working. Um, and uh, defensively, I feel for those guys because they've put forth a heck of an effort. Uh, even if it was, even if it wasn't their best performance, um, they did keep them out of the end zone for the most part. That's what they're designed to do. Um, and it just, uh, it just hasn't worked out for them. And uh, you, you got to sense some frustration. You got to think um, that they, want to take it upon themselves. And, and let's be honest, defense m- missed some opportunities too. Ellis Brooks dropped a pick right in his arms um, yeah. in the first, uh, the, the end of the first half. Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker could have ended the game in the uh, the overtime with the, the pick. Um, Sikowski made a nice play to uh, to knock that away. But if it's your All-American safety going against their quarterback going to get the ball, you want him to win that battle and you want him to win it decisively to end the game. So, um, you know, they, they had their share of misplays on defense, but uh, again, it's a, it, it's a tough one. There's enough blame to go around on both sides of the ball, but if your offense can't put you in a position where you just have to keep playing your, with your back against the wall over yeah. and over and over again, it's not going to work out. And, you know, thank goodness for Jordan Stout. We, we make the joke every week about Penn state's MVP joke's really not that funny anymore to be honest with you and uh yeah. it's it, it's way too true um it's it's hit hard home far too many times uh for that to be uh for that to be the funny joke anymore yeah jordan stout punted the ball eight times seven of those punts landed inside the 20 four of them went 50 plus yards he did have a mixed day as a place kicker had a false start which pushed him back five yards in overtime i, I don't think i've seen a kicker full start before but there it was and to his credit he was able to bounce back from that and keep the game going with a conversion he did miss a field goal i think from 40 yards wide right during regulation overall was three or four uh as a place kicker um but but sean i i think when Man, I'm, I'm just this box score is one hell of a thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm just kind of yes. I mean, and I'm going while you're talking, I'm gonna, I'm, while you're reading, I'm going to fill space. I love the hard count call on the field mm-hmm. goal. That was such a I thought that was a phenomenal call. Um, it was what fourth and two at that point. Um, really, you, you put yourself in a position and then all of a sudden the kicker, the kicker goes and does that. That's tough. And Raf Cheka also had a really good hold on the field goal that he made in the first half. So it, it's worth noting for that with the special teams. Um, Penn State. You, you think about where Penn State was all game, and then you know uh, Stout goes out and punts that ball in the last minute of the fourth quarter, and there's that muff, and you think your special teams may have done it for you again. Mm. Illinois with a heads-up play to make that work, but man, it's just over and over again the same the same kind of stuff popping up, and it's 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 frustrating. And if, and if you're a fan, I understand the frustration, and and it's rightful frustration. And you know if you're uh, if you're a Penn State coach, that's tough, man, because you you you've put yourself up on a pedestal as an elite team in the, in the big 10 and you go out to and, and lose to this team that, that knocks you down 
considerable notches, not just this season, but in the perception of your entire program moving forward. It would really take like going on the road, beating Ohio State in Columbus to say, okay, let's erase that completely from our mouth. And and I right now I'm not ready to make that leap and predicting that's going to happen by any stretch of the imagination. And well, we'll, we'll talk before, about before you, you know, yeah. Before you up? get into that, it's like it's like that that Iowa Purdue game last week. Iowa loses that game, and okay, you are who we thought you would be. You know, if that makes any sense, yeah. that that you can lose any game because you don't have the offense to get it done. Penn State does not have the reputation where they lose this game. You know, you you say what you want about Franklin. You say what you want about the job that he's done. Their losses typically come to Ohio State, Michigan State's in there. Um, Iowa's been the last couple of years, um, but not the, the 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 bottom guys. I mean, the the 2020 is kind of out the the window. Of course, Maryland, you could throw in there. Um, but you, you look at what Penn State has done in their losses, and it, it's been not been able to to finish in those those big games. They don't lose too many of these. I mean, you look at what they – I just think about the perception of someone who doesn't cover Penn State on a daily basis, and it was strange enough for us to be sitting there watching it. But imagine watching this overtime session, the number seven team in the country, Penn State against Illinois in Beaver Stadium, seven shots uh, inside the three-yard line in these overtime format, and only one <laughs> reaches the end zone via Noah Kane. I just thought that was remarkable considering how much esteem we hold in Mike Yersich um, what we said about you know, Sean Clifford and his development as a decision maker in these situations, I thought the formula would be there. It was very close on some occasions. The shovel pass to Brenton Strange looked like it was destined to reach the end zone. Give credit to Illinois defenders for coming up with some plays. But this was just like death by a million paper cuts by the end of the process. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you can throw the Philly Philly in there too. I thought that was a, a good call and put Penn State in a position to get in the end zone and, and eventually finish the game. It just didn't did not work. So it, it it's you can throw everybody under the bus while you're at it. It's play calling, execution, um, all that sort of thing. And it's just uh, it's not working on offense right now. And now is not the time for that to happen. Sean, we've heard a bunch uh, from the national rumor mills and all this LSU job, USC job. James Franklin always comes up, always gets mentioned. It was kind of nipped in the bud, what, four or five weeks ago when, when USC conversation was really the focal point there. Surfaces again this week. I'm not saying that this is an excuse for the team, but is it something that, I mean, is it something that is detrimental to this team? Probably. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't really looked too far into it, but you can't ignore it. Nobody can ignore it. I mean, it's out there. It's not going away, and you know he's not doing anything to to put himself in a position where that does go away. Um, so yeah, I think the distractions there. I think I know he's talked to the team about. It. He's talked to his leadership council um, about that. I know he's talked to recruits and things about that. But you know, until his name goes out of the rumor mill and gets out of there, it's it's really not. I mean, we had a story. Um, one of our national desk guys had a story today. Bruce Feldman's writing about, you know, Bruce knows James really well. Bruce Feldman's still writing about USC and LSU and, you know, how that's still a possibility. So that's not going away. Um, and I agree with him in the sense that even if he says, I'm I'm not a candidate, I'm not going to go, I, I still don't think it's going to go away. Um, but yeah, you've put yourself in a position where this kind of keeps, keeps cropping up. And you see that every year and you look back at uh, the stat that you read earlier about uh, or, the, or that we tweeted earlier or you read it earlier or whatever it was earlier. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not the bourbon, I swear. Um, but uh, four, fourth time in five seasons, the Penn State followed its first loss with a second. You got to think back. There's there's some times in there where the, the, the rumor mill was flying and there's a lot going on. And there's a lot of different distractions that could be had. And the, the guys have not responded in kind. And uh, 
that's on the coaching staff. That's on James Franklin. Starts with James Franklin, probably ends with James Franklin as well. But yeah, I, I think that there is something to that. I don't know how much it changes things uh, because even distracted, you should be able to go out there and beat Illinois, but just did, did not happen. Well, things are about to change in a big way for the uh, you know the microscope that is on this team coming off a loss like this. Last loss coming off uh, against Iowa by week. Got a chance to lick your wounds a little bit. It was a week away from the media spotlight. The only availability all week was James Franklin after Wednesday's practice. No players had to step up and talk. Had a chance to recharge the batteries. This time around, we're six days away from seeing this team play Ohio State, which is rolling now. And there are going to be a lot of hard questions coming toward the players, to the coach. And, and this is, you can certainly say, the most adversity this program has faced since falling to 0-5 last year. And we thought that was behind us. 9-0 after 0-5 was was my slogan. All of a sudden, here we are, 5-2, and and, and it's trending in the wrong direction. we got a lot to talk about this upcoming week on the podcast, Sean, but um, anything else to, to add here? I know we've thrown a lot of numbers, a, a, a lot of a lot of negative things. Um, it's That's just the kind of podcast this had to be. There's a stat on the board, and I haven't really looked into it to make sure it's 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 good, but it sounds pretty accurate. Franklin three and four after the bye, that's tough. I mean, when you when you think about how much this team uh, was was battered after Iowa, and you think about it every year in terms of we say the bye week came at a great time. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a tough that's a tough stat to throw out there, and it is all about preparation. It's all about uh, how the staff has handled um, their business in the off week. Maybe there's some changes of courses of actions that are needed, and uh, you, you'll have to look into that for next year because you don't have another chance this year. But uh, the way that they've been able to either bounce back for losses or or try to turn the switch back on after a bye week has been subpar and and fairly unacceptable. Sean, I found something up my sleeve to turn this podcast around at the last moment. Penn State did pick up a commitment today. We, we <laughs> Easy to forget all those hours later, but it was one of those, you know, we're getting used to these, one of these pregame hugs with James Franklin that ends up moments later getting tweeted as a commitment. You were all over this one. I think we should just mention here. Hopefully we'll get a chance to, to give Joey a little bit more spotlight next week. It's not really the platform right now in the post game. Yeah, Joey Schlaffer, um, Michael Mennon's brother, a corner, excuse me, a corner, a uh, tight end from Exeter, um, really good, uh, kind of a different kind of tight end than Matthias Barnwell, Mega Barnwell, uh, more of a receiver, uh, athlete type guy, 6'6", 205, so plenty of room to fill out on that one, um, but a, a guy that Penn State saw in person, they offered him right after they saw him in person, and Seem to like what he brings to the table. Some really talented tight ends in the region. Um, maybe not, maybe not the top elite guys, um, but uh, it's it, it's really um, a, a second tight end pickup, and, and it's a class that I could see them maybe taking another one because Barnwell. You're not sure how he's going to grow, what position he's going to end up with. So you've got Schlaffer. You still have Neo Avery out there, who they love. Nicholas Harbor. I probably don't even put in this category because he's such a freak athlete that you know you could look as an edge prospect, a tight end, possible receiver, something like that. Um, he's just whatever he wants to be. You take him if you can take him. Um, but Neo Avery's still out there. Andrew Rappel, yes, still out there. So wouldn't be shocked to see them continue to to, to recruit tight ends. But so far, uh, a good start uh, in the 2023 class. Um, four commits so far. Schlaffer, the latest one, two of them being tight ends. Um, and they continue to move forward on the 2020. Uh, two front uh, have removed Jordan Allen from the commit list. Um, there was some scuttle this week that he was going to visit uh, Ole Miss, then he wasn't. Um, then he ended up visiting Ole Miss, and uh, Penn State's got a policy, and the Penn State's back to twenty-five commits in the uh, in the twenty twenty-two class. 
Don't blink around here. Things change in a hurry. Uh, thanks, Sean. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast, and things have changed mightily for this Penn State football season. We'll come back with uh, Game 8 uh, next week, and we'll work our way toward Ohio State, talk a little bit more about this matchup, and try to add a guest along the way. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.